0: All right, so I am Mike Masnick from TechDirt, and I'll let my co-panelists introduce themselves in a second. We are going to be talking today about basically where getting artists and entrepreneurs and technology companies working together and being very forward-looking and looking at opportunities. I think we've gone through many years of of finger-pointing and and blame and and concern about stuff. And um, some of it, I think, was perhaps cathartic and helpful. uh, And some of it, I think, was probably not very productive. And so the hope here is to, to get more people thinking about ways that everybody can help each other and better understand each other and hopefully do some cool things. This is, to some extent, uh, a slight preview of something that we're, we're trying to do, bringing together a lot of entrepreneurs and artists, basically to try and foster more understanding between them, but also look for cool things that, that they can do to help each other. And I think that There's a lot more similarities than differences between artists and entrepreneurs. And I think that sometimes that gets my voice just got quieter. There are a lot more similarities and differences and I think sometimes that gets lost and then I think there are significant differences between artists and entrepreneurs and and sometimes it's good to get people to understand what those differences are, but then also look for for common ground and ways that that people can help each other. Um, So those are kind of the things that that we'd like to discuss. We are going to take plenty of questions from the audience. Uh, We've been told that everything is being recorded and because of that if you have questions we're going to ask you to stand up and make your way down to the microphone over there and and ask a question into the microphone so it can be recorded if you don't listen to instructions and yell a question from your seat we will then either yell at you to go over to the microphone or at least repeat your question into into the microphone here so we'll we'll start out just by talking a little bit and i might ask some questions of my co-panelists, and then we'll definitely take a whole bunch of questions. So I'm going to start by handing it off to Mike McGarry here on my right.
1: Thanks, Mike. I'm Mike McGarry. I'm the co-founder of a group uh, here in San Francisco called Engine Advocacy. So I come from more of the entrepreneurial side of things. Um, I also work with a seed stage venture fund called Hattery uh, here in the city. Um, I'll give you my very brief artist street cred. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I was the drummer in a punk rock band, which, as you can tell by the jacket I'm currently wearing, didn't take. And we were terrible. But we did put out one compilation album with other friends from our hometown, and it was released on Righteous Babe Records. So Righteous Babe recording artist, Michael McGarry, is here to talk with you today. <laughs> Thank you. You can't buy it anywhere. We, we weren't good at being artists as entrepreneurs. Mostly what I want to talk about is the, the technology side of things, um, the kinds of companies that our fund invests in and that we work with, a, a lot of them actually tend to revolve in this space in some way or another. In fact, we've got one company called Copper, which is a lot like uh, Flatter or some of the other services out there now where you can um, help uh, create new revenue streams for artists that are out there beyond you know, Spotify and uh, iTunes and all the other lovely ways that Zoe will tell you that she makes money. Um, and, uh, and, and so we're, we're looking at things like that. But Um, for me, just looking at how music particularly, and, and, you know, just sort of all art in general has become more diverse and and your ability to grow has become more, as an artist, has become more decentralized. Technology is going to play a key role in that. And um, that then flips onto the engine advocacy side of things, um, which we got started up last year as well. Um, mostly focused around the SOPA fight, which, if you guys probably recall, was when a lot of really thoughtful people tried to screw up the Internet. Um, And so we did a lot of work on that and worked with a lot of artists, including um, some that were kind enough to post a uh, a letter to Congress on our page and things like that and and getting more involved because they saw the Internet as a means of – of, of 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 sustainability for their careers, and so this was not merely the fight for an open and free internet, which I think many of us will agree is is an imperative. But this was about making sure that um, you had the ability as as an artist to uh, sustain yourself and promote yourself and uh, and do all of these things. And it's this this network that's out there is is so key to to all of us. So um, I'll talk a little bit about. how how small business how artists themselves are small businesses and entrepreneurial and and some of the technology I think is important to that but um, like Mike said we'd love to hear your questions more than anything Um, and I'll hand it off to Zoe now and see what an actual artist who's got real street cred and see what she's got to say.
2: Um, So uh, I've been playing the cello since I was eight and um, I'm sort of a DIY poster child. <laughs> um, I think you called me that. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. It's a good it's a term. <laughs> um, so I've been uh, composing and recording instrumental cello music and releasing it online through the internet. I released my first um, recording in early 2006 on iTunes. Um, and uh, so I've just been doing that pretty much and um, in all of the crazy, intricate ways that an artist makes a living. And uh, that's been gradually increasing over the years and it's going very well. Um, and my tech street cred <laughs> is that uh, in uh, 1997, one of my first jobs was I was employee number seven of a software startup that did information visualization before we n- understood what data overload would be, information <laughs> overload. And I was an information architect and I was a you know jack of all trades and did a bit of Java programming and those kind of things. Um, and uh, as you can see from hair that didn't work out <laughs> um, and I quit my tech job in um, 2003 to um, make music full time and to perform with the rock band uh, Rasputina so <laughs> um, so nowadays I I find myself um, doing more and more business and less music um, which I think is just kind of the way the world is if you're a DIY artist um, and uh, I feel that um, I feel this increasing need to sort of be an advocate for what I'm doing, so that other artists can do it, and just kind of put out my numbers. And so, just this morning, I released again um, some income figures, a, a percentage breakdown of my 2011 income. Um, and then earlier in the year, I had done like actual money numbers. And so, just to sort of put that out there, so that artists can see um, how this is possible for someone in the niche. So,
0: great. Um, so well, let me start out by um, i mean sort of asking the the very broad basic question, which is you know given the topic um, of you know bringing together the tech and the and the artist side of things or the the entrepreneur and the artist side of things, what do you think you know what do you think are the keys to um to to getting those two sides to to work together more and and to foster more understanding between the two because i think yeah. that you know there is a legitimate difference and a legitimate area where i mean you guys may have you know some uh experience on on both sides but i think that you know i think both of you guys would recognize that there's there are definite um misunderstandings and differences between between those sides of things so what what do you think um what do you think are the key issues in terms of bringing them together?
2: Well, um, for me, I've never really seen much of a division between myself and the tech world. It's like I am in the tech world because my income and my living is made entirely on the internet and I use tools that are made by other nerds. Um, And I feel like, they're my people, you know, <laughs> um, because we're doing kind of the same thing We're we're confronted with a new whole, you know, virgin territory and you're experimenting and trying things to make it work. So it's like we're doing the same thing. And I think sometimes that um, uh, where it falls down is that artists who are not necessarily, they don't see people who are that tech companies and startups are just trying to solve problems. Right. That's all they're trying to do. They're trying to solve problems, and in order to solve the problem, they need to have a lot of information. And so, I think the solution is for just more artists to kind of, kind of be there <laughs> to sort of. I don't know if there's some kind of some format for them to get together, so that you know, when you have those founders in a room and they're all like on a Friday afternoon, like coming up with cool things, talking. You know, that there could be like a token artist. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I just feel like that's the solution. It's just that that. Um, uh, people who are in the startup world need to know how artists function and artists need to know how people in that world function. It's all a lot more about people than it is about companies. So I think that's kind of the misperception there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree with that. I'll take it one step further in that I don't know that there is a tech world anymore. I think no. it's just the world. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the, you know, it's 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 about the internet of everything and and how it's all connected and and brought together. But um, I definitely like your point about artists and and people at startups being closer together because I think um, sometimes that gets lost in as you say, people at startups wanting to just solve problems. A lot of them would say, "Well, what we want to do is make the world easier," um, and. I think as part of that, a lot of them don't necessarily see how art and music sort of fall into that as you know, as a democratizing force in a lot of ways. And so I think you're right. I think the closer that we can get um, between these communities is is going to be key. But um, I I also think that as as entrepreneurs as as captains of small business i mean uh, musicians have have been doing that forever i mean the, before it was cool musicians were small businesses you got you know you go out and you open your guitar case in a subway station you're a small business i mean when you or when you get to you know be like zoe and and other artists and you're playing shows all over the world and selling music online and and all that like you are definitely a small business all to your own and you run into many of the same problems so Artists thinking of themselves as being entrepreneurial as well, I think, is is key to this, and then understanding that the world um, is there to to make things easier for them at this point is is going to be really uh, an, an an interesting dynamic as we go forward.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So, um, you know, I mentioned this this session that we're having tomorrow that we're you know bringing together artists and entrepreneurs, and I've noticed you know one of the questions that we've asked everyone. Who signed up is um, do you consider yourself an artist or an entrepreneur or both or neither or something entirely different and so far i mean i think it's actually a question that a lot of people struggle with mm-hmm. um and you know and i i had you know some of the people actually email me directly and be like well I'm, you know sort of trying to get a deeper understanding of like well how do, how do i define myself and it's <laughs> like you know i shouldn't be defining that for you but i think that it actually highlights a really important point in that you know, all of these lines kind of start to blur together. Um, and I think, but I think that you have to be conscious of that to some extent. And that if you, you know, if you're, um, you know, building a startup in the space and you think that like, I'm just a techie, you know, without bothering to understand, you know, what is happening with with artists, or even recognizing that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're creating something, right? It's, it's not, you know, it might not be art or music, but you're still, you're, you're building something, you're creating something new, um, and hopefully something wonderful that people love, you have sort of similar challenges. And at the same time, on, on the art side, recognizing that you are also an entrepreneur, you know, I think, you know, part of the reason why we asked that question was to sort of try and drive people to realize that, you know, Mm -hmm. you can't necessarily directly classify anyone into completely one or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think the more recognition there is of that fact that everyone sort of, you know, that those lines are are very, very blurry is important. And then the second thing to your point is is just getting more people to know each other. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was just this study about you know on the policy side and in terms of dc in terms of like how policy is made and it, they said you know so much of it is is really driven by relationships and mm-hmm. it's just driven by the people that you know mm-hmm. uh, and as scary as that is at times because of the people that some people surround themselves with you know like oh, that's not good yeah. you know that's that's just a fact of life and i think that's true you know out here in, in california as well as in dc in terms of you know if you can get more people who are building businesses and who are creating art to get to know each other um, in whatever setting it might Mm be, you know, you're going to have more and more, you know, more and more understanding. I was just
2: thinking, as you were talking there, I was thinking that um, I know way more people at software companies than I do musicians um, and that generally that's kind of been my niche like I'm the, the tech conference cellist you know <laughs> I'll play at you know, O'Reilly's food Camp or play at Google or whatever and um, I feel like you know tech conferences are where I f- fit in and I feel like I often don't fit in in a music conference so um, I think that there probably is something about my success so far is probably related to that um, so maybe they're like Going back to a solution is we need to have more like campouts and cocktail parties. I don't know.
1: (laughs) I'm for that. (laughs) But some of
2: my biggest advocates, some of the people who have done the most for like um, me, are people in in tech companies. I mean, there's there's the big thing of like you know I got a how did I get on the Twitter Twitter suggested user user list? list, Somebody put me there at Twitter.
1: Well, and I think going back to to your point as well about. the blurring of the lines. I think what this, what, what the internet has done is just create whole new buckets. I mean, it's created all new media that that can be created, and thus there are new types of creators of media and new uh, new and different creators of different types of old media as well as new media, and that. Um, has led to, you know, just an absolute revolution in terms of how then that's influenced people at tech companies and entrepreneurs in, in, in building things and, and in thinking in different ways. So um, the more that those lines get blurred, I think the better everybody's going to be. And the harder it gets to answer that particular question, I think we're going to be better off, too, because we can afford to all be multidisciplinary. I mean, we can be – jacks of all trades at, at, at this point because we have this powerful tool that allows us to do things like that um, you know there there there's a lot that that can happen there and, and to your policy point and I'll speak to this specifically from our experiences we've had over the last year with engine is that absolutely the thing that moved the debate in Washington was not a 30second ad that was paid for on television You know, in in a very political year when I'm sure we've all seen about 400,000 of them, it was not buckets and buckets of money that were being spent. It was honest, hardworking people, artists and entrepreneurs who went to Washington, who made a phone call and got involved on this. These are the voices that can actually change the debate because whether you know it or not, these are the voices that when they're heard in Washington, which isn't very often, they can have a much higher rate of impact. So as we blur the lines, as more artists think of themselves as entrepreneurs and vice versa or both or neither, um, it's important to realize that we also have this small d democratizing force in the Internet that can drive a lot of new discussion and bring, to bring about new viewpoints on matters like this and can really help change and redefine debates. So to that point, I think that that, that was key in, in, in how we ended up beating a very bad bill.
0: All right, so um I'm gonna play slightly devil's advocate. Um just because they told us they want some disagreement on the panel. But let me let me push back slightly. Um but we all love each other. Right. Can't
1: we can we just love each other? <laughs>
0: uh you know, I mean I think Zoe, your point is 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 a really good one. Um but not everyone comes at it from the experiences that you have, right? right? Not everyone comes at it from the experience of, of you know, working in the tech industry, living out in this region, mm-hmm. you know, having access to all this technology. Yep. And you have plenty of people who will say, you know, on the on the artist side, I just want to be an artist. I don't want to have to go schmooze with with you know tech industry folks who i can't stand right i mean which some of them very clearly will say you know they can't stand so uh, what you know what do you do in those situations how do you get you know how, how do we spread more understanding across the board when, when people are starting from a position that isn't necessarily the position that you start from for mm-hmm.
2: example well um my answer for that that is that uh I think technology can solve that problem too. <laughs> uh, so obviously I'm very biased. But, um, <laughs> and this is the thing that, um, you know, the world that we live in right now, you know, I've, I was, we were talking before the panel, like the last, the last decade, we have this incredible array of tools on the internet that allow musicians to have this incredibly diverse... It's a diverse world of lots of different kinds of music. You can have diverse income streams that were not possible before, and that's all thanks to little technology tools. So um I feel like the future is still rosy in that there are every day there's more things coming up that can help the average musician. Um, and that that's, you know, that has nothing to do with going and, you know, playing a concert at Google. It's like maybe you can start crowdsourcing your concerts using Soundkick or you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I think that the answer is like more little t- kind of tools that allow the whole music ecosystem to flourish um, so that you can have multiple income streams. Yeah,
1: and I, I would just back that up and say it's, it's about innovation and it's about what we haven't in- thought of yet so there are you know we can talk about the tools that exist out there and they're great it's the ones that are coming down the pike so we've Mm -hmm. got to protect the ecosystem that allows those products to thrive so that there are more song kicks and there are Mm -hmm. more Oh, pick one from the sign. Uh, there are more yeah. SoundClouds. Yeah. I love SoundCloud. For example, right. like there should be more of that kind of stuff, and and not and certainly not less. But that's only going to happen as yeah. more people get involved in this space. Th- that,
2: that's kind of the thing that I want to see. You know, that is like I, w- I want exactly that. I want more innovation, more little tools. I want less large companies. You know, I'm I'm an advocate for the little guy. So I like companies to stay private and not public. You know, things like that. So um, I feel like that's sort of the future for everybody so that like little companies can thrive artists can thrive it's diverse that that's that's how i like things to work <laughs> <laughs> well good <So>. um
0: <laughs> do uh, how much of this do you think if any is is generational i mean do you think mm-hmm. that um you know we talked a little bit about this before the panel but um you know there's an argument out there that's made that sort of you know the people who grow up on the internet the digital natives or yeah. whatever you want to call them whatever horrible phrase is being bandied about <laughs> um you know those people just get it and i'm not in that generation i'm sort of an interloper but like um Is is it so that this isn't going to be a problem that we're talking about it because we're old, and that the next generation, you know, sort of just completely understands this Mm -hmm. and is just going to, you know, fit right in and say, okay, internet tech, music, whatever, all. I don't know. I I had
2: this like one of those wonderful coffee fueled thoughts (laughs) that you know you have like right after you've, the the, the five-minute period after you've had your coffee. And it was that the whole thing, the whole um, debate right now is that just a generational war between Gen X and the millennials. Um, (laughs) And being that, uh, you know, the world of um, file sharing, I'm going to call it file sharing, file sharing and such was, um, you know, I'm I'm 40, so it was my generation sticking it to the man. You know, this is our, this is our, like, moment. And then that... um, the rise of sort of file sharing, I mean, um, streaming and what have you is kind of the next generation taking over and that um, generations can never coexist. They have to like (laughs) try to eliminate each other. And so you end up having these like incredible rhetorical wars that don't really go anywhere. That's just all about like, no, you cannot make money selling music. (laughs) Music has to be free. Like just just these ridiculous debates. And I'm like, come on, can we all coexist? (laughs) And so... um, i I've, I've was uh, I'm just starting to see it a little bit more in those terms, so I don't know if if that's valid, but um.
1: <laughs> well, I, and I think that, that that generational gap is just getting shorter. I think that uh, you know with with the rise of the internet, every, everything's gotten sped up, right? Like it all seems like the world's moving at a much faster rate than it used to. But I mean, I am I'm 28 years old, um, and which means I'm ancient. Uh, in in regards to like digital native music internet <laughs> culture like I remember Napster I have a 16 year old cousin that only listens to music on YouTube mm-hmm. his father is a professional musician in New York City so like it's there's there's a gap there mm-hmm. like and, and that's just shortening I would never go to YouTube to listen to music I just don't like YouTube's a fantastic resource but like it's a for video. Why would I, I don't get it. Like, and I'm just, I've aged out already. So you can look at, you know, from 40 to 28 to 16, (laughs) and there's three really different perspectives on what we conceive and grew up to perceive music to be and how it's, sold and distributed and all the other things mm-hmm. um so that time gap's just getting shorter it's different from you know like my parents generation who grew up with you know 78s and then 45s and and all that you know to where you know someone looks at me and starts talking about an eight track and yeah. you know i have no idea well
2: i was thinking like sort of like you know to maybe keep going on this like perhaps invalid generational war idea but the, the you know the whole the thing with like napster and the record companies that was like the boomers versus generation x <laughs> <laughs> yeah Sure. So, you know, I think of the record industry as like the, the <coughs> boomer generation, like the, the other generation. And then, um, so um, so my world has been this, you know, incredible flourishing of like, you know, taking down of institutions, which I think <laughs> of as being kind yeah. of. <laughs> and so, um, and now we're going to the next phase of, of um, the, I was in this unusual position where I found myself for the first time arguing against a music tech company. And I was like, whoa, I am the man. <laughs> And it was exactly. it was that um, it was when I I kind of perceived a lot of uh, press about it seemed like the you know the the huge cloud of of news stories was about Spotify and about how musicians are no longer going to be making music m- selling music and that the only way forward is just to you know just give up and try to become huge on Spotify and I found that I was kind of like arguing against that idea, and it was the first time that I'd done that, and so that's when I got this idea that perhaps it was like a slightly generational thing. Um, And uh, so I'm still in the position that, you know, it's not that I'm against streaming, but just that I want all these other things to flourish. Um, And my world of niche is not about mainstream. I don't even know what mainstream people do because I've never been (laughs) one. (laughs) Like, I don't know how you listen to music or like all that stuff. Um, I know that in my world, I still buy music and that, you know, I might have one very valuable recording that I've paid like $30 for, and I'll listen to it twice a year. And I'll totally love it that two times. But that kind of music is totally worthless in the streaming model, because I only listen to it twice. <laughs> so so I'm just trying to make the point that like for this kind of... Um, this music, which is about sort of... I don't know, quality listening over quantity listens, there's a, there's a different um, economic model for that that is not... Um, in this sort of massive news stories about streaming. So that's what I've been arguing for. <laughs> and,
1: and I'm wondering, I, uh, I have a question for you. We, we get to have this mm-hmm. moderator panel, so I, I get to, to oh, turn that God. around, which is good. Um, As I know you've done, um, which we uh, you we were so gracious to help have us pretend to help you on, I should <laughs> say, uh, this report called Sky is Rising, that I know you're also working on um, uh, a follow-up to. And I'm wondering sort of if you see you know whether it's entertainment- general entertainment spend or other things like that whether you see this perceived you know false generational gap as well in in, in some of those numbers and some of the other things you found in there
0: um I think that uh, i mean we haven't looked specifically at at the different generational gaps there is um there is actually a a different study <laughs> i'll pivot to a different study that's coming out um uh, very soon, and some of the data was released this week um, and more will be released soon, looking at um, different attitudes towards um, music consumption and sharing and downloading and, and, and things like that that does show a, a pretty big uh, generational difference. And it's looking at um, people in the U.S. Um, a wide variety of ages and then also in Germany uh, and comparing the two. And it does show you know, a pretty significant generational gaps just in terms of how they think about consuming music. And I know there was a separate study that just came out to the, to the point of kind of the YouTube question um, that says that like YouTube is the number one source for, for kids to listen to music today, um, uh, which is kind of an interesting you know, uh, interesting development and interesting challenge. Um, of course, you know, YouTube has then, you know, Google obviously owns YouTube has sort of developed new business models around that though there are questions about how much though that pays. Um, and the, you know, I think part of the issue is, is kind of what you were getting at in terms of like this fear of, um, you know, perhaps one company dominating or, or sort of one company taking over. And I think this is something that, that just, goes in cycles in the tech industry no matter what. I mean, you always see this where you know, whatever company's dominating, suddenly people who really kind of celebrated it for a while suddenly get a little fearful. And you saw it, you know, happen with Microsoft mm-hmm. in the 90s where suddenly they got too big and you're seeing it happen today with Google and Facebook and people suddenly being very worried that they're sort of, you know, the dominant player, sometimes to the point of the government getting involved and saying this is an antitrust issue. Um, but, but you know, even with a, a company that's smaller like Spotify, I think there's there are worries that people have that, that they're becoming too dominant. And then... Um, you have sort of this mental shift, um, you know, from, you know, and and I mean, I skipped over Apple because, right, I mean, they were certainly, they're certainly...
1: A, a, oh, right, Apple, that little, <laughs>
0: that little company. That little tiny I company, which that. actually isn't in, in, in the midst of a big antitrust fight on the book side, um, but, you know, certainly could actually um, turn into an issue for on their, on the music side too, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of what technology does well is, you know, make things really efficient. And when that happens, you get these sort of, you know, pools, you know, for lack of a better word, where sort of everyone sort of, you know, gravitates to what is working. And and I actually think that, um, you know, part of, um, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit, but part of what, um, what is happening is that because there isn't this clear path, right? So in the past, you sort of had a you know, the rules for if you wanted to be a professional musician where you sort of went, you know, X, Y and Z, you tried to get signed to a label and, and mm-hmm. you know, did did these things. Uh, and if you didn't, you you weren't a musician for the most part. Right. And now, of course, there's a lot more options, but the 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 rules are a lot less clear. And so the amount of options that you have is sort of very very large and that's actually very very confusing and in a lot of cases very very scary because you don't know what, what you need to do. So people experiment in very different ways, but you know, I think a lot of the concern that 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 I see um, isn't necessarily generational but is people who just want someone to say here's the path right mm-hmm. so here's what if i want to be a successful musician or if i want to be a success i want to be able to you know follow these steps and if i succeed i succeed if i don't succeed i don't succeed the problem is i don't know what that is today and so when you see something that starts to be a little successful like you know iTunes that's not a little successful but you know big successful and then Spotify and some things like that then suddenly everyone sort of focuses on that as that is the right solution right. and therefore if that alone is not replacing the old system suddenly then they get really really concerned and say well you know i bet everything on spotify and then i get my check and it's eight cents that's a problem and so i think that that is part of the the um i I wouldn't say that's an educational gap I, i but i think it's part of the the gap that that needs to be dealt with just in terms of the the mental um you know getting over that that hump of of recognizing that none of these guys are going to replace the mm-hmm. the old way of doing things. And and for many musicians, that's probably better. Right. For a small group, maybe it's, it. it's worse. But,
2: yeah. Oh, oh no, I was going to say, um, this kind of go, goes back to the artist as entrepreneur because um, after, you know, I, I've been through this period in the last couple months thinking about this stuff, and I decided in the end that everything's still fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that it's, you know, whatever the... the you know, just like you said, the the press is like always what is the story? What is the new story? And that's what, you know, makes the news. So um I'll still continue to sort of be an advocate for this like other road over here, but I decided that it's okay. And that um, going back to this idea of like artists some they just want to see like what is the roadmap. And I think that really is kind of <laughs> the crux of the problem right there. <laughs> and um, so like I never had any expectation of a roadmap and I'm, you know, I've, I've said before, you know, if the doors are closed, make your own building. Like, that's my, that's sort of like my <laughs> motto for life. <laughs> um, so that's how I'll operate. Whereas like, if suddenly streaming closes some door, then I'll just make another building to make some more money in. Um, and so I do think that there is kind of like a slight shift that needs to happen in artist mind, so that, that that is kind of how the world is now. Right. And that's not just in music, that's in everything else. Well, I, I mean, so, I've <laughs> ma-
0: made the the semi joke that like you know, musicians at some point uh, in training to be a musician, you learn how to improvise mm-hmm. mostly, and and you know that i think it's important for them to learn to improvise on the business side as well and this recognition that you have to just sort of keep trying stuff mm-hmm. and keep doing a lot of different things and which is the same thing that that any entrepreneur goes through i mean you talk to any entrepreneur you'll probably never find a single entrepreneur who said that they started a company with x idea and then they executed exactly on that and and what finally came out even you know even what was released you know maybe months or a year later you know is almost always very, very different than what the idea was that they start with. And then the iterations after that, it just keeps changing and changing and changing because you're always kind of iterating to figure out what works mm-hmm. and doing new things and different things. And I think that that needs to be true for for musicians as well to in, in this world is recognizing that it's it's a sort of constant you know improvisation mm-hmm. in terms of, well, let's try this and let's go there and see if that works. And if it doesn't, well, don't do that again, but mm-hmm. you know, let's try something different. Um, and I think that that, that's challenging for everyone. It's challenging for entrepreneurs and it's it's challenging for artists. But I think it's it's also really scary, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you don't know what that path is. And so figuring out how do you get around that is is a challenge. Um, and so one point to on that that I think the thing that that I I think has worked for entrepreneurs at least um, to to get over that is. Mm-hmm just seeing more and more success stories and hearing those stories being told and seeing like you know you know this company started as something entirely different but you know changed along the way and did this and now it looks like something completely different and there are a lot of those stories out there and they they spread and that's you know that's sort of part of the lore of, of Silicon Valley you know almost any company you look at started as something completely different um, with artists I there are some stories out there the success stories I mean, poster child you know whatever it is where people can can look at that and i've definitely heard from artists who see stories of of the do-it-yourself success successes and say that that inspires them Mm -hmm. but i don't know if those stories are as pervasive as it is in the the entrepreneurial world
2: right well that that's that's a that's a call to action there i've been trying to really encourage other artists to be public with their income just to kind of talk publicly a little bit more about things you know post blogs just talk about this thing, you know you, you can't you can't is going to make the world fit you if they don't know what your world is <laughs> you know so like even if they were going to just make the world fit you but <laughs> <laughs> as an so um so i really feel like uh, sometimes i feel like the only person out there talking about it um there's a few more, but I feel like you've to sort of drag artists kicking and screaming <laughs> but I think
0: I mean I think that kind of transparency is mm-hmm. is really is valuable as well just in not only not only is it um, sharing and sort of helping other artists, but I think it it mm-hmm. um, in many ways helps fans kind of understand you as well mm-hmm. and and sure. make them you know more supportive of you when, when they understand yeah. those things
2: right.
1: Yeah, I, I think anything that, that educates the consumers of music to how to be better consumers to better support you is for, for the ones that really want to be part of this, I think is it can only be good. You know, whether or not people listen, we can't control for. But the more that you get the understanding that you can have as we all we all now want to have this personal connection with whether it's brands or particular artists or companies whatever whatever this millennial generation idea of that is the more that personal connection is built now that we have the tools to do that um, getting more good information out there is only going to be good things.
2: There are at the same time though it's not it's definitely not a safe thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know a lot of artists who um, tend to you know. There, there is kind of a tradition of, like, if artists start talking about finances and money and economics, people say, shut up and make music. Um, and that, uh, you know, I think, again, because I've sort of grown up in this era, I'm used to the idea of, like, comments and arguments, and it's, like, it's fun, <laughs> and I love a good debate. And, um, but uh, I was thinking about the band uh, Grizzly Bear, who had tweeted to their fans, like, you know, if you want to help us, the best thing you can do is buy an album. And that sparked, like, this whole online discussion about how back... Passwords that was how about wrong that was, <laughs> um, and uh, it was a big discussion. I was like, wow, that was pretty interesting. I think they were just not prepared for it, and there was kind of like silence on their end. Like, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, um, I, well, I think that's that is a challenge. Where if you are going to be open and transparent, is <laughs> mm-hmm. that you have that there's backlash, and yeah. um, and we were also talking before about the Amanda Palmer situation, mm-hmm. where um, which actually gets another thing which is sort of you know the 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 rise of Kickstarter in terms of um, being or or similar platforms as as being important in this space, but that which has some benefits of of additional transparency. I mean you can see how much is is raised Mm -hmm. and in in what ways. um, which is which is sort of a different aspect to these things, but also then leads to potential backlash such as, you know everyone knows the the backlash that happened with uh, Amanda Palmer. Is anybody who doesn't know about it? Yeah anyone not know? (laughs) we we have a couple so the very very quick version I mean she raised like over a million dollars on Kickstarter it was a big deal and then when she went on tour one of the things was that she asked uh, for volunteers to to play a few songs on stage with her and there was a big uproar about whether or not that was appropriate considering that she had raised you know over a million dollars should she have um, then just hired musicians to be on stage though she had a, a band and there's a lot of other yeah. aspects to it but it, it created sort of a big discussion and eventually she she did agree to, to, to pay the volunteers even though some of them I guess were just like no no we're not volunteers <laughs> yeah. we just want to be on stage with you that's cool but um, uh, but it it leads to this sort of, you know, there's this sort of interesting challenge of when you are open and transparent. And then if you go from a situation where, you know, uh, there may be, you know, there may be a, a, this inflection point where, you know, you can start with no money and then everyone wants to support you. And then if you have a lot, is there is there mm-hmm. a problem? And, you know, one of the things that, that I saw, you know, I, I think that there's sort of this standard line that like, oh, you know, um, you know, the kids today, you know, don't want to support musicians because they think they're all rich. And and I don't think that's true. I think that's sort of this weird myth that, that got out there. And, you know, some people will say that maybe just about like certain rock stars or whatever. But, you know, but then you see these stories, like when Amanda raised one over $1 million, the people who bought into it were absolutely thrilled and were excited. There was a big party and people were like, they, it was like, they they felt it was almost validating them as well. Mm-hmm. The fact that they would support an artist who could then raise over a million dollars. We saw the same thing in sort of the comedy world with with Louis C.K., who raised mm-hmm. over a million dollars by selling his, his comedy special for $5. And people were, were mm-hmm. absolutely thrilled that he made a million dollars in less than two weeks. And, you know, so I think that but but there is that fine line where it's like everyone is thrilled up to a certain point yeah. when they, they think you're misusing the money. <laughs>
2: yeah, so it might be about sort of like as long as the artist is still, you know, doing the right thing in the right. eyes of their fans. Like as soon as like they start acting potentially like the man, right. then it all falls down. <laughs>
1: this also, I think this goes to you releasing percentages from your tax return too. Yeah. And we were talking about this before about, well, I made this 18% from you know, uh, from performance. But that's the lowest margin that I've got. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can make a million dollars, but okay, how much of that was spent on gas for the van right. to get to the venue in Raleigh right. to play the show and how much of that went into, you know, pen, you know? so there's, everybody hears a million dollars and goes, oh, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's so great. She made all this money and, and now she's doing this. And what you don't hear is, yeah, but then I had to, you know, mm-hmm. I had to put gas in this rickety old van mm-hmm. and, and do that kind of thing. And it's like, okay, you're supporting people. And it's it's an interesting use of uh, of wording in terms of raised a million dollars. Like Louis C.K. raised a million dollars. Amanda Palmer raised – they made a million dollars. They went out and this is their job. And people paid them for a service. In Louis C.K., it's laughing your ass off. In Amanda Palmer, it's really good music. It's It's paying wow. for that –
2: Okay. No, 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 no! She's a friend. I was. should. not say that. At a music Amanda's, conference, Amanda's a good case. friend. So, okay. She, her music's good. It's a, she sells an experience. I was yeah. gonna say.
1: Okay, so yeah. she sells an. Well, th- yeah. that's even better. She yeah. sells an experience. Yeah. That's 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 a good. <laughs> way but, but I think
0: it. that to some extent, right? I mean, that's that's what a lot of creativity <laughs> is today. I think that's. True of you know a lot of successful mm-hmm. artists in almost any field is that they're selling an experience. Mm-hmm. So we we're we've been talking and I said we were going to take a, a qu- a questions from the audience and and we haven't. Um, so there is a microphone over there. We really are going to take questions if people line up. I
2: was thinking because then people have to walk. Can they ask questions and we could repeat them? We can, we do, can do that, do that too. So, to so, get so get if, if
0: anyone is lazy <laughs> and doesn't. Uh,
2: Sure. So I, he, he asked if I could repeat my income breakdown. Break uh, I just posted it this morning on Tumblr, like slightly before this panel. So if you go to zoekeating.tumblr.com, you can see my income from 2011 because I just finished my 2011 taxes last night, <laughs> uh, thanks to tax extensions. <laughs> and uh, so roughly um, music sales were 43% of my income, and live concerts are 18%. Um, and the rest are broken down. I've f- I've forgotten now what I put up there, but if anybody you has Tumblr, you can you can see. Um, and uh, like performance royalties from ASCAP and SoundExchange were like 2%, um, 0.4% for a commission, things like that. Um, and the thing about that, oh, and uh, licensing was, uh, I think, 23%. Um, so the thing about those numbers is that uh, when I was looking at them, it was interesting because they, they change slightly every year. And as I've gotten more known... It started out for me that the perf- the uh, music sales were actually the highest. Like a few years ago, my music sales were seventy five percent of my income, and I made nothing from performances because I never got the memo that you can't sell music. And I instead gave performances away for free. That was that was my model. I performed mostly for free, and um, performing was my lost leader, so that then I could. You know, become more, more known. Um, so that's how I did it. So I didn't actually make money from performances. I just lost money from performances for a long time. And then as I got more known, the performance fees have gone up and licensing has gone up. So that then sales have gone down, I mean, percentage-wise. Um, but the performing money, that 18% is the most expensive money there. Licensing has like very little overhead other than my home office. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't work through a company. It's just me. And then... Um, you know, even music sales aren't really that much overhead. So, whereas performing is like, you know, airfare and all this stuff. And I travel with a toddler and I bring my husband. So, it's like, that 18% is really, you should cut that in half, because that's where all my expenses are, is in that 18%. <laughs> so, anyway.
0: So, I mean, I, just a quick question since we're talking about tech stuff. There's Um, you know, there are people who are attempting to do sort of more efficient ways of of handling performance stuff to Mm -hmm. sort of decrease the the costs on that side. And so you see things like Eventful and Songkick just did this thing called... uh, uh, what is it? I forget what it, what they call it. But basically, yeah. crowdsourcing, you know, get enough fans together to say like this, you know, going to this location is definitely worth your while. Mm-hmm. Have you experimented with any of those? Actually,
2: things? Actually, I, I did a little bit of eventful when it first came out. And I didn't really have enough traction in places like m- the issue I have is that in a lot of the places where people are interested in me, they might not know all the tools, right? Um, the people who use eventful tend to be in the cities where I don't need it. Right. Um, however that was a couple of years ago and so I'm starting to look at this again because um, you know I have a booking agent and um, it's actually very difficult for an artist who's DIY and is kind of like a crowdsourced artist like myself to convince a standard venue an old school kind of venue that hey she's going to sell the show um, it's actually a lot of work my agent works really hard on my behalf um, and I'm very grateful But um, so I don't always get to the cities that I want to go to and it's always been clear that there's a lot of people in cities who are missed and stuff, and so um, some of these cl- these tools are getting more robust. And that's actually my next step is to try to figure out how I can crowdsource a concert. So if somebody invites me, like, you know, I've been to four continents this year. If somebody invites me to Ecuador, like they did in May, and they pay for my travel and take me there, can I also crowdsource a concert in a neighboring country? You know, that would be really great. If I could do a mixture, I think that would be like the holy grail. So I'm really, I'm really, I'm really excited about that kind of that domain of tools cool yeah
0: do we have a we have uh, another question here
2: that's a great question so the question was how do you balance using all these tools without burning out your crowd I think about that all the time because I'm continually burned out by everybody else sending me things so um, it's something that you know uh, I think I think about that quite a bit um, I do it by um I don't write very often and I sort of try to train my mailing list to let them know that they're only going to hear from me once every couple months, if that, and that then you know they'll read it. Um, but that is a that's a huge problem, and I have, I don't like like to post continually on Facebook or you know put my Twitter feed in my <laughs> Facebook page, all that kind of things, just for that reason. Like there's there's just too much, and uh, it's it's funny. Like every time you know every time there's a new tool, you your audience listens to it because it's new (laughs) and you can have all kinds of magical things happen. Like celebrities will talk to regular people and all this stuff. And then that magical window will go away because people get overloaded. And then you wait for the next magical tool to come along that suddenly everybody listens to. So part of it is sometimes, you know, making sure you're always using the latest (laughs) way to communicate for a very brief window. but it's kind of like everything else. It's, it's never the same. It's always changing. So I don't know. There's no really good answer to that one except just be respectful.
0: Do <laughs> right, we have other questions over there? Thank you. S- should we repeat that it, for the? <laughs> it was
1: a very glowing comment to Zoe for her transparency.
0: Thank you very and, and, much. And suggesting <laughs> that more, more more artists mm-hmm. uh, do that as well to, yeah. to whatever level yeah. they're See, artists, it, look it at the
2: helpful? rewards you get. Put it out there. Yes, See?
0: exactly. And, and people compliment you at conferences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw another hand start to pop up somewhere, and now someone's being shy. Oh, over here.
2: Do you want to talk on the microphone oh, for this one? Yeah, yeah you're close it to the, the microphone.
0: Yeah. You, you don't you get an should. excuse. You have no excuse <laughs> not
1: to. Just challenging this intergenerational conflict discussion a little bit. Um, for example, like the streaming. Streaming's not exactly new. I mean, MP3.com was doing it 12 years ago. I mean, you could still download, but they're obfuscated with the M3U playlist format. Um, and for, and like live a live performance being your main method of income. You know, like before recorded music and sheet music. Like that's how artists got paid, right? So, what do you guys think about this? really being like more cyclical in nature and mimetic. And, you know, we're all innovating here, but also looking at, you know, how do we just tweak those, those old ideas and have that be sort of the next big thing?
2: I'm glad we don't have to repeat that question. <laughs> it's a good one, but it's complicated. You guys want to take a step? I, I mean,
0: I, I think there's probably something to that. I mean, I think that when you look at innovation in general, that there is always a sort of cyclical uh, nature to it, that it does kind of go around and around. And, and you know, what people think is old is just sort of an, a new version, or uh, what think is new is just really a, you know uh, a rehashing of what was done before. And, I mean, we've seen, like, Um, you know on the tech side you know things go back and forth there's this sort of swinging pendulum between like you know what's now called in the cloud versus you know local you know it used to be sort of you know mainframes and and you know client computing and and all this kind of stuff and then everything was desktops and now you have the cloud or whatever Um, and so but I think that you know I think that each time it does come around, it is somewhat different and it does take, you know, and, and in some ways, you know, it, it does something better. And that's why, you know, what didn't work the first time suddenly works again. Um, And because of that, you know, I would say in some cases it, You may be right that it's not a sort of intergenerational fighting. It's just sort of this, this cyclical thing. But I also think that sometimes that that actually increases the sort of generational issue, which is like you know when the cloud comes along and the people who the old timers who looked at you know mainframes and client computing, they're like ah we've been there and done that and that sucks and they write off anything about what's new and interesting about you know the new setup and so. You know, and I think we see the same thing where it's like, okay, yeah, you know, streaming—it's been done before, but you know, Spotify is actually much nicer and much user more user friendly than what was done before, uh, and it lets you do a lot more things than what was done before. And and the addition of mobile to that is very different than you—you know—you didn't have that that same sort of thing. So I think that there is something to that, but. There's also, you know, each time around, what comes out is is different, and sometimes that that does set off the kind of generational, you know, uh, hatred at, <laughs> to sort of build on Zoe's <laughs> argument.
2: I mean, yeah, obviously the, the generational thing that was a, it's it's a very simplistic idea, but I do think some some the cyclical idea is is that we do have a situation where you have, you know, for the last decade lots of people trying out new things. You have like the crumbling of a monolith, and then you have like all these other sort of chaotic little things happening around, and and then things have organized into something that looks like another structure again, meaning perhaps the streaming model. Um, and then I just feel like uh, with anything, it's, you know, the current norm is all about what kind of inputs are going into that <laughs> that like little algorithm. And so I feel like it's my job and other artists' job to sort of be a little input into that to sort of keep things slightly chaotic, <laughs> um, you know, slightly anarchist view of, like, I think chaos is, that sort of slightly chaotic view is, is, is better for me, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I think we have time for one more question in the, in the back section there.
2: What do I think about video live streaming? Um, this is where I feel like I need some sort of like digital advisor because again I don't consume any of these things and so i've I've tried to watch video and I just get bored so um but I, I'm sure that it's not boring to other people and people have said like hey this is a great way for you to have concerts around the world without having to drag your toddler around um, on an airplane and um, so I'm all for it but'm I'm, I'm not totally sure if it would have that same visceral cathartic you know result that a concert does which is what I'm that's my whole thing is all about creating sort of cathartic musical experiences. <laughs> yeah, it could it could Sh- help. Should we repeat yeah. that? Oh yeah, sorry. so that do, do I think that um it could that live live video streaming could help me like economically? Well, it's another thing. It's another little piece. So, the more the better. <laughs> so, I'm I'm sure that it would definitely help. I don't see I I don't think it would hurt. So, that's a that's usually my my gauge for if I would do something, is this going to hurt? <laughs> you know, and usually the answer is no. So then I do it. All right.
0: Um, do, do, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a, it's a good motto. Yeah. Uh, good strategy. So are, are we out of time, or do we have? We can we can do one more question. So if someone has a relatively quick question, yes. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Yes, I would love to be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll get I'll get the band back together. <laughs> so,
2: Uh, you're starting a new thing and do i feel like it's worth my time to try new things without without a try um i always feel like it's worthwhile trying new things Uh, there there is this this thing where as you get more successful and as you get older your your window of time gets smaller and smaller and smaller so i feel like i have to evaluate things in advance a lot more than i ever did that's one of the things why you know people do risky things in their 20s is because they have a little bit more time so um that's not to say no but yes i try i always consider everything and evaluate it and so come talk to me after. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Uh, do we have any final words? We'll start with Mike. <laughs> no, that I've put you on the spot.
1: Uh, go to zoekeating.tumblr.com and read all our good <laughs> stuff. That's all I got.
0: Uh, and Zoe, do you want to promote Mike? <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: uh, go to what's your website? engineadvocacy.org. Right? Engineadvocacy.org. <laughs> and, uh, oh, how about you, Mike?
1: Oh, yeah. And Tech Dirt. Yeah, sure. Go I'll to Tech that. Dirt. That you already cool. go to Tech Dirt. Sure. Yeah. But go to TechDirt
0: some more. All right. Well, I, I definitely want to uh, thank Mike and Zoe and everyone here for making the weird trek down the street yeah. um, from the, the main session oh, to this wonderful room. I, yes. I always
2: say after there's usually people think of c- questions afterwards. It's always the yes. case. So um, please write to us if you have questions. Um, yes. I think we're quite easy to find. Mm-hmm. I'm just uh, Zoe Keating at gmail.com. Or cello at Zoe Keating, and um, and then please, if you have any questions, I always answer them. So
0: sure, and I'm please Mike write. at and and I think all of us are somewhat easy to find on Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. And so, if you do have questions, you could ask them on Twitter if you can fit them into 140 characters, and then we could sort of virtually continue the panel. Aha. Oh.
1: <laughs> that go. sounds like new technology. Yeah, Entrepreneurial. we're not promise. we're not
0: in favor of that kind of thing. No. So all right, thank you very much for uh, coming nice. down.
1: And folks, we are going to clear the auditorium right now. So if you have questions for our guests, please go ahead and meet up with them outside. Thanks.